Hi, this is Cliff Kriego for the picture-poems.com website in the circle in the square. Well, as you can hear, I'm. this is another field notes report. It's the 19th of April. It's about 6.30 in the morning, natural time. I haven't checked that. And... Uh, I was out uh, running at uh, Heartbreak Meadow Base Camp, and I thought I'd better, uh, with the folks back home, tune in to what's going on up here. With spring snowmelt, one of the greatest and most important events on our living planet, and especially here in the Pacific Northwest. And the reason why Heartbreak Meadow is so... Can we use that term? It's a little bit too militarized, isn't it? Strategic. Okay, we'll say that. Strategically placed. You hear those steps? I'm on about a half a meter of snow here. And last night at round numbers 1400 meters it got down to about not very cold but totally open blue sky Oregon blue sky it got down to about uh, minus 7c with extremely dry air the dew point right now is about minus 2c and you notice it um, there are intuitive measures that you use is Alpinist to judge what's going on with the uh, weather. And when you all add it up, it, it makes a picture of the climate too over many days, months, and years. But when you wake up in the morning, and of course, uh, shiver hours about uh, 3 o'clock natural time, when your body temperature starts to cool off, you're sleeping on the ground. I'm not sleeping on snow right now. But uh, it's cold enough. <clears throat> and um, you notice that if the dew point is higher, your tent will be a crystal palace, a double-walled tent. Uh, because all your uh, body moisture uh, that you've been respirating during the night is... Uh, frozen into a magnificent crystalline structure. Well, when the air is extremely dry, uh, that doesn't happen. Interesting, isn't it? That doesn't happen. Well, it didn't happen last night either, so I'm out here running around looking at the snow melt. Well, I'm going over a snow bridge here that would be dangerous two hours from now. I could fall right into this little creek here. This is where we're getting our drinking water from. This is pure as one of those crystals we were talking about. And it has a very constant flow. So you're looking at the, what's called the diurnal pulse. That's the change within a a 24-hour cycle. I was working on the circle in the square earlier this morning. That's my music, poetry, and dance project. 
And I sure wish I could get young musicians and poets and dancers out into this great theater of nature so that we could better understand what has gone wrong in the performing arts. I just said diurnal cycle. Well, um, that's there whether we like it or not, this great diurnal cycle. Now, at altitude, that creates a freeze-thaw cycle that's absolutely wonderful to not just behold, but to tune into and become a part of. So, if you're a camper and worried about the cold, what the hell, it gets cold, but you know that it's going to warm up into short-sleeve weather, that's not quite shorts by uh, 12 noon natural time. So you just warm up and store up that warmth like a battery during the night and get through the night. It's absolutely wonderful. This is perhaps the most beautiful time to be in the high mountains of Northeast Oregon. So this is a field notes report, so forget about the circle and the square. But the cyclic thing, Mother Nature's cycle cannot be fragmented in a way. They can be disturbed when we start to change them with anthropogenic drivers, like putting carbon into the atmosphere, like overgrazing. You just stick with those two. Right where we're standing, both of those variables, potential variables, uh, are major forces. So if you want to understand what's going on in Heartbreak Meadow and above, you need to understand, and it's a smaller circle, but it has 100 years of very negligent uh, grazing history. Compared to the Alps, The Alps learned their lesson evidently a thousand years ago about what overgrazing can do. So, in my experience, especially in the Swiss Alps, they take uh, overgrazing very seriously. So I'm here to defend the great mountain farming tradition. Well, this, I'm on a meander here. It's almost an oxbow. So it makes a complete 180-degree turn. I'm running to keep warm here. We've talked about that before. If you're good with snow and an alpinist, you can tell everything you need to know about snow with the sound. So this is spring snow. It has about... It's well on its way to glacier ice, but it's going to melt off. So it has very high density, and we're walking right on top of it. No snowshoes, no skis. It would be excellent skiing higher up, but we're down here doing work. And we're looking at this little creek. I'll put a photo with it. And we're looking at a a streamside current. There's a terrible common name. What is it? So it's a rebus. There are many different species of rebus up here. 
viscous river, whiskey non and it's just about ready yeah it's getting ready for a bud burst so that's what uh, the buds are starting to open up it's magnificent to behold and it likes to have its feet wet and it's a major um, this is how ecologists think in terms of ecological services personally I think that's a very self-centered anthropogenic way of thinking but it's useful in very limited context that it holds down the stream banks this is just an absolutely magnificent all the way around 180 degrees and the sun is coming in of course from the southeast and just catching every single branch and filling it with vibrant living light so photography it's just this is your this is your time point. Get out there and you better be ready to do whatever you want to do. So the more you understand and love and live with the plants, in my view, regardless of what kind of equipment you're holding in your hands, the better the photography. I'm just listening to what I just said. Why would that be? Well, I, I suppose it's because you're giving your plant friends brothers and sisters. That's how I see it, the voice. Now, there was a reason, yes. There was a reason that I ran back to get my recording equipment. I didn't have it with me for a field note report. Yes, diurnal cycle. Okay, so we're watching that very carefully. This is a good diurnal cycle. It's a little bit colder than climate average. Now, if you're out here with the uh, climate crisis field work, as we are here, one thing that you want to watch very carefully is the new uh, patternation, that's a pattern of movement, of the jet stream in the uh, northern hemisphere. And um, because of the decrease of difference between the temperature of the equator and the pole, warm air of the equator is like just like right where we're standing, going down slope to the North Pole. That's its natural tendency. That's happening right here where we're standing. The higher... Uh, air is descending right now and at a certain point it will reverse well with the jet stream that means there's less energy less energy means just like this little creek it's going to have wavier patterns of movement well this is a very wavy pattern of movement and that happens here with the energy the difference is the steepness of the terrain so here it's relatively flat so the water slows down and makes these magnificent meanders so what everybody is trying to understand with climate crisis in the jet stream, the relationship, is really very simple in a way that if you're in a trough that goes all the way to the North Pole, that's a meander on the north side, then that polar air has nothing, no difference to hold it back. The difference of the jet stream is the velocity of the air. So the faster the air moves, the more it works like a wall. 
and separates different areas of natural climate. Well, that wall is radically shifting, which will have radical consequences for where we stand. Forget about what's happening back east in North America right now. Where we're standing, we're trying to figure it out right here, right now. Well, one of the effects of that is that if we're on the northern side of the jet stream in one of those deep meanders, it looks just like this water meander we're standing on. I guess I should be shooting video, but I won't, don't want to do that. That uh, um, if you're on that north side, those uh, winds can rip down. That's a theory, not a fact. But I've observed it many, many times the past seasons, years, is that that wind will rip down. And it has a northeasterly uh, direction, and it is extremely dry. So it, they uh, generally increase with cold fronts coming through and very dry, desiccating winds and cold, and it has a miserable feel to it. Like we uh, know the adiabatic winds, the fall winds with the, uh, that in North America we call Chinook winds or in the Alps they call Föhn. In the Alps they usually come from the south. And it can eat up a snowpack, the temperature difference. What we're looking at is always the relevant differences. Relevant, find those relevant differences. And then we look for patterns of movement. And if I may speak about the circle and the square, because that's what I was working on. Uh, that is what makes that way of thinking of the circle and the square so simple yet powerful. Is that we're looking for difference. We're looking for patterns of movement. While out here doing a field note report, what we're trying to understand has a certain autonomy and objectivity about it. In other words, we can't change because of its size, we think. We can't, this is just happening, right? In the nature circle. Whereas in the cult, I'll get back to, there's a flaw in that, I'll get back to it. In the natural circle, it goes on without us, even though we're a major driver now with anthropogenic climate change. But leave that aside for simplicity's sake. And then in the cultural circle, we're actually creating it, right? So you turn that model, that map, that theory, that mathematics, that qualitative way of thinking around and project it out. And you're, the things that you're creating begin to have a much deeper resonance with the earth. Why? Because we have one way of being, not just thinking. It's much deeper than just thinking. Movement, I think, is the mystery of mysteries. And of course, I'm not the first one to say that. I mean, look at this water. It has a complexity that is beyond any kind of description. But of course, you can get closer to it. Once you have nonlinear mathematics and the theory of complexity and things like that, 
then we can make models that are getting closer. So the cycle of trees thaw in the mountains that goes on year round. And it will, this is why that zero degree line, why everybody ethically, I think, should be on the same map with centigrade Celsius, that zero line is crucially important. And if we were 10,000 years ago, what I'm standing on, well, what is the relationship? I'm standing on frozen water running around. That's what makes that sharp sound. See, that's a good sound. The sharper the sound, the better. For your skis, this would be fantastic. And then this sound... the sound of living water. For scientists, acousticians, is that a word? That is not white noise. In science we have a way of describing uh, the sound of living water that it's all frequencies together at random. Uh, so that means it has absolutely uh, no structure in a way. And then you can filter that down to specific, uh, using that uh, descriptive language frequencies. You can actually generate sounds that way. But what's going on here in nature, in my own view, is very different. The way that we describe it in the circle and the square is that it has infinite complexity. So you have simple sounds within simple sounds within simple sounds without limit. There's a reason why that's important, but I won't go into it right now. So stick with the diurnal cycle, freeze, thaw. Well, you could think that these different sounds, if you think in terms of things, just think of that. These are very different substances. This pure white, of the spring snow is frozen all the way through, all the way to the ground. And this beautifully sparkling, pure, flowing water. So they are the same substance that's in this mysterious movement. It's in a way the defining movement of our planet, certainly up here. So that line of freeze-thaw, where that zero degree snow line, you call it different things, where that's at. You see, we're above it. Everything up here is frozen. The ground, let me go over here to the ground. Even though the sun has been, this is, I'm in a, a morassy muck. You can hear it. My boots are getting all, these are called mud runners this time of year but it's still totally frozen solid. You hear the difference of the sound? Well, what you want to watch, and this is where musicians could really contribute. Scientists, have, they have no idea. They tend to be stuck in front of their machines and computers and their um, limited form of mathematics, not thinking in terms of movement. Well, that rhythm of the freeze-thaw is crucial. 
and it is changing. That zero degree line is going up the mountain, and I've said that before. Tell your friends this is a theory, not a fact. But that doesn't mean it's not relevant. What you're trying to understand are the facts you see in front of you. Well, the fact is that that melt line is uh, going up the mountain. And it's going up the mountain by at least, in my view, two centimeters, that's the thickness of a thumb, a day. Tendency increasing. We're just at the beginning of this great sweep, the great acceleration of the Anthropocene. And in my view, there's no argument about whether or not we're in the Anthropocene. We definitely are. And as I've said before, I put my golden spike where if there are still people around a million years from now, they'll be able to dig down to exactly 5.30 a.m. natural time, July the 16th, 1945. That's when the first plutonium device was imploded. The test for the bomb, they called it the gadget, that destroyed not Hiroshima, but Nagasaki. That is the beginning of the great Anthropocene, the great acceleration into a question mark. Well, if we don't begin to understand these things, then it's the great acceleration into oblivion. And we'll not only take down humans by and large as a species, but everything around me where I'm standing is in turmoil. That means the conditions under which it flourished during the Holocene, that's a period of 10,000 years after the Pliocene uh, glaciation. That was here 20,000 years ago. This was covered in glacier ice. That, um, that brief period geologically of 10,000 years, well, that is changing and changing right before our eyes in a tempo that is absolutely breathtaking. And the more you attune to it, the more breathtaking it is. So if it sounds like I'm preaching, then forgive me. That's why this place is called Heartbreak Meadow. It's not only heartbreakingly beautiful, but it would be a heartbreak to lose it. Okay, that's it for now. Thanks for listening. This is just a little field notes report. This is Cliff signing off for the picture-poems.com website in the circle in the square. If you're a musician, you should... The times are changing. There's no reason to be in studios and in front of computers anymore. Get thyself out into the wilderness. That's where the real music is happening.